from Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar, the investigator? That's right, insurance investigator. Yes, well, uh, my name is Frank Skinner, Mr. Dollar. Yes? You see, my wife and I run the Sunny Dream Home up here at Buckton Center. Old folks' home it is. Uh -huh, I see. Well, now, what can I do for you, Mr. Skinner? Well, I'm... I'm afraid there's something wrong here, Mr. Dollar. You see, we've never had anything like this before. Like what, sir? Well, to begin with, all our clients are pretty well insured. Yes. All right. We've been having a lot of deaths here at the home these past months. Too many, Mr. Dollar. Well, after all, if your clients are all very old people... Yes, sir, they are. But you see, these have all been accidental deaths. Yeah, well, don't forget, sir, that older people are very often quite prone to accidents. Yes, sir, that's true, but... Well, if you want the truth, I don't think they've been accidents. Oh? No, sir. And if something isn't done to stop this, well, I think maybe you'd better come up here and see us. Mr. Skinner, I think you're right. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Sunny Dream matter. Expense account item one ten cents for a phone call to Pat McCracken, my old friend and contact at Universal Adjustment Bureau. Oh, say, I'm glad you called, Johnny. Yeah, well, Pat, I just want you to know I won't be available for a couple of days. Oh, yes, you will. And it isn't because of any insurance matter. Yes, it is. What's happened is that I've just received a phone call that's aroused my curiosity. And, well, at any rate, any assignments you may have for me will have to wait until I get... Yeah, that's where you're wrong, Johnny. I said we'll have to wait until... What? Just happens you have an assignment right now. As a matter of fact, I was just about to call you. Well, can I wait a couple of days? Oh, no, no. Johnny, I want you to run over to Buckland Center. Huh? I think you heard me. The Sunny Dream Home for the Aged? That's right. How did you know? Never mind that. What's wrong over there that you know about? Oh, the number of deaths over there within the past few months have made our actuarial tables look like a big, fat mistake. And the companies that have carried the insurance on them are getting a little worried. All separate companies, huh? Yeah, but they all cleared their policies through us, fortunately. Otherwise, we'd never have gotten wind of this. Anyway, I promise to send you over there. Any particular reason for thinking something's wrong, aside from the unusual number of deaths? Yes. What? The beneficiary of the policies that have had to be paid. Who? The sunny dream home for the agent. I gassed up my jalopy at the sign of the Flying Red Horse, that's item 2, 425, and drove some 30 miles south and east on Highway 2. I found the sunny dream home just north of Buckland Center. It consisted of a huge old frame house surrounded by trees and well-kept gardens. In comfortable chairs scattered here and there on the wide porch and lawn, nice-looking, well-dressed older folks sat around reading, chatting, playing cards, enjoying the late afternoon sun. The whole place looked clean, quiet, and restful. After parking my car, I walked slowly up the long, flower-bordered walk under the trees toward the entrance. 
And as I did so, a little wizened old man in a wheelchair detached himself from a group of the old folks and wheeled over to me. Mr. Dollar? Yeah, that's right. I'm Frank Skinner, the one that called you. Oh, how are you, Mr. Skinner? Uh, come right along in the office where we can talk. Yeah, sure. Oh, may I give you a hand with that chair? Nope, don't need it. Huh? I must say you handle it well. Should. Haven't been on my feet in over five years now. Uh, you uh, can help me up this little ramp, though, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. Here you are. Walter, my stepson, built me that ramp. Good idea. Yes, sir. It's a big help to a man that can't use his legs. Now, right around the side of the porch here. Oh, evening, Miss Baker. Good evening, Mr. Skinner. Yeah, here we are. If you just open the door. Sure. You just sit down there, and I'll get right to the point. Okay, fine. Now, you listen to me. I'd appreciate it if you'd let the folks here think that you've just come to look over the place, like maybe you've got some old relative you'd like a nice home for. In other words, you don't want to alarm your clients. Guests, Mr. Dollar. They're honored guests, all happy and with no worries. Uh-huh. Well, I must say that those I saw outside looked perfectly content. But now, about those so-called accidents. Five of our people have died within the last six months, Mr. Dollar. Five of them. Terrible. And like I told you on the telephone, they looked like accidents. What kind of accidents? Well, now, the first one. Well, maybe it was. That was old Miss Epp. Lived in the little guest cottage out back. What happened? Small fire. Must have started in the wastebasket or something by the time we got to her. Well, she'd suffocated. And I suppose Mr. Perley might have been accidental, too. Food poisoning it was. At least that's what the doctor called it. But nobody else got sick on them. All those canned peaches, Mr. Dollar. Who was the doctor? Oh, Dr. Cherry from town. Of course, Mr. Perley was the only one that had three helpings of them. But my wife never had trouble with her canning before. Well, go on, Mr. Skinner. Well... Old Miss Sharmley fell down the main stairs to the living room. Look through the door there. You can see the stairs. Well, that's a long stairway for elderly folks. Then Miss Lizzybell. We called her Miss Lizzybell, though her real name was... What happened to her? She fell out the window of her bedroom. And Mr. Dollar, she just wasn't strong enough to get her window open that wide. She was 94. Then poor old Miss Betzler. She fell down the stairs, too. Well, Mr. Skinner, if those people aren't able to negotiate a stairway like that, you're at fault for requiring them to do it. Well, most of them are. The others have their rooms here on the first floor, like I have, too. How about Miss Lizzie Bell, who was 94? Well, she never left her room until she fell or until she was pushed by somebody younger and stronger than she was. Well, unless you can prove something like that. I have to prove that those others were pushed down the stairs. Right so. You see, from what you've told me so far, Mr. Skinner, there's no reason to suspect those deaths weren't accidental. Even so many of them, all within a space of only six months. Unless, as I say, you can come up with some concrete evidence to indicate otherwise. All right, then. You can tell me this. Why did all those things happen late at night when those poor old folks wouldn't have any reason to be up and around when there wasn't anybody around who could help them until it was too late? Well, so far as that's concerned... Boy, sure, sure. Folks have got to get up at night sometimes, one reason or another. But they all had their own private baths, and if they want anything from downstairs, like something to read or some hot milk, something like that, why, all they have to do is ring the push button in their room, and my wife gets it for them. We do that all the time. Where is your wife, by the way? Martha? Why, she's right... Right here, Frank. 
Who's this you're blabbing off your mouth to? Why, uh, Martha, this is Mr. Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator. Investigator, huh? Well, you can march yourself right out of here. Well, now, just a minute, Mrs. Skinner. Just a minute, nothing. You get out of here and leave us alone. Mrs. Skinner. And if you don't, I'll throw you out. And if you don't think I'm young and strong enough, then I'll show you. Strong enough to throw a little old lady out of a window? Or shove a couple of people downstairs? Get out! Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now for another episode in the life of Sergeant Donald Bellwether, my husband. Oh, that's what I call a good dinner, Reba. Oh, that was delicious. Well, I'm glad to hear that, dear. More coffee? Uh, yeah, just uh, about a half a cup, please. All right. There you are. Thank you. Now, tell me all about your safety class. Did the boys enjoy your speech? Oh, yeah, they sure did, thanks to you. I did quite well. My lieutenant complimented me afterwards. Oh, good. Yeah, but that same lieutenant threw me a curve, too. How oh, dear. Well, after I gave my talk, he asked the men if there were any questions. <laughs> well, I did it. So one of the guys stood up and said, uh, said, uh, look, Sarge, uh, you claim there were over 95,000 deaths and over 9.5 million people injured in accidents in the U.S. last year. Uh, looks to me like all those safety campaigns and slogans are doing no good at all. Well, how did you answer it? I didn't. I couldn't think of an answer. I, I got out of it by saying I'd have more facts and figures at the next meeting. All right. Let's see now. Oh, yeah, here it is. Now, first, Sergeant Bellwether, you start off by telling the boys that since 1913, the accidental death rate has been reduced 35%. Mm-hmm. Or, in other words, if there hadn't been campaigns and safety measures put into effect to reduce accidents, almost a million more people would have been killed in the last 46 years. Hmm, is that right? It certainly is. I'm reading it right out of the National Safety Council record book. Oh, and another thing. Accidents in the farming areas are much higher than in the city. But you know why? Why? Because in rural areas, there are fewer policemen enforcing safety laws and less traffic signs and signals to guide the motorists. Mm -hmm. You know, many more cars travel the city streets, and yet the per capita rate of accidents is much higher in the rural areas. Of course, the reason is obvious. In the city, more safety measures are instituted and obeyed. <laughs> Reba, you are wonderful. That, that's a good logical answer. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do without it. Oh, oh, that's my Donald. That's my Donald. <laughs> Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Sunny Dream Matter. Martha Skinner, co-owner and the real manager of the Sunny Dream Home for the Aged, was a big woman, tall, muscular, and a lot younger than her husband. I don't want your kind snooping around, Mr. Dollar, so get out of here and leave us alone. Your husband seems to think those deaths here in your home for the aged weren't so accidental, Mrs. Skinner. Oh, he does. Yes, I, uh, that's what I told him, dear. Well, if you'd keep that mouth of yours shut, Frank, we wouldn't have this sort of thing. Why don't you and that wheelchair get out of here? You sound as though you have something to hide, Mrs. Skinner. I have nothing to hide. Don't you see what you're coming around here will do to our nice place? 
It'll give us a bad name, that's what it'll do. Folks come here on the recommendation of the folks that live here. If your sort starts prowling around, it'll make our nice home for them sound like a murder factory, and I won't have... Oh, now, just calm down a Those moment. poor old folks, Miss Lizzie Bell and Mr. Pearlie and the rest, were accidental, that's all. You got any reason to think they weren't? Well, I didn't have until a minute ago. What do you mean by that? If they weren't accidents, well, it certainly took somebody younger and stronger to push them down those stairs. You mean me? Well? No. No, Mr. Dolly, you're wrong. And if anybody started that talk about not being accidents, I guess I did. Yes, you did, Martha. Oh, I was, I was so upset, those fine old people passing away. Why, they were like family to me. I guess I said a lot of things that didn't make sense. Until the doctor and the police came around and told me I was wrong. The police investigated? Yes, and they made quite a stir. I guess that's why your being here has uh, upset Martha. Well, of course, if they found nothing. Mr. Dollar, do you think that I could do anything like what you're... that I could harm a single hair of any of these nice old people? What possible reason could I have, and what sense would it make? Why, we're being paid for their living here, and if anything happens to them... Yeah. Yeah, if anything happens to them, you collect a nice, big, fat hunk of insurance money. You know about that. Insurance investigator, remember? No. No, you're wrong. It was their idea to name us in their policies, now, wasn't it, Frank? Yes, Martha, it certainly was. Well, let's not talk about it anymore now. It's getting late, so I think I'll drive back to Buckland Center and have some dinner. Well, you'll do no such thing. You'll have your supper, your dinner, right here. And if you wish to stay overnight... No, no, you mean I'll have another room to fix up? Well, I'll help you, of course. Walter, this is Mr. Johnny Dollar. Dollar? The insurance investigator I hear about all the time on the radio? That's right, sir. What's your business here, Dollar? Frank, call in, son. Yes. About those accidents? Yeah, that's right. What do you think about them, Walter? Look, Dollar, Mother's got enough trouble without you coming around. Walter. Well, it's true, Ma. You know it. First, it's the police making a big racket. We've been through all that, Walter. I asked you a question. Well, why don't you get out of here and leave us alone? I'm sick of all this nonsense. I'm sick of this whole place. Oh, Walter. And year after year, working like a dog for a lot of old fogies. Are there only the three of you to take care of this place? That's right. Oh, and of course, Frank here is a lot of help tied down to that wheelchair. Well, I do all the office work. Oh, sure. Big deal. Handle all the money, too. What about the talk that as soon as we get enough money, we can sell out and get away from here? Hey, look, Dollar, what difference is it to you who keeps this place up? Hey, you're a pretty husky fellow, Walter. Yeah, yeah. Would you like a little demonstration on you? Now, what do you mean by that? Well, maybe I'll tell you after I've had a look around. Then you will stay. Oh, yeah, I'll stay until I'm satisfied. Well, you won't be here for long if I've got anything to do with it, understand? Is that a threat, Walter? Take it any way you like. I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar. I'm sure he didn't mean that the way it sounded. Uh, well, tell me, do you two have joint ownership of this place, you and Mr. Skinner? Well, uh... Well, it's really in my name. And if anything were to happen to you? It would go to Frank and Walter. I see. Walter said that you've talked about getting enough money to sell out and leave this place. He certainly did. Is that what you plan to do? Yes, sir. Well... I'm not so sure. Of course you are. I've grown to love this place. All the nice people who... Mr. Dollar. Yeah? 
enough money, you said. Like a lot of insurance money from... Oh, no. You, you can't think that Walter would... Oh, oh, no, no. He's spoiled and fresh and impetuous and talks a lot, but... Surely you don't think... Mrs. Skinner, what would you think? Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Do you know who said, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty? Those famous words were written by Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson knew that human nature tends to cause us to take for granted the freedoms for which others have fought valiantly. He knew that Americans had to be alert or the essential freedoms of democracy would be taken away. That's why Jefferson gave his warning to the Americans of his era and to their descendants. He set the price for liberty as eternal vigilance. And Americans through the years have heeded Jefferson's warning. They have been alert to detect and resist the enemies of liberty. Remember the words of Thomas Jefferson. They are part of your American heritage. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And now, act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Sunny Dream Matter. At dinner that evening, I made a point of chatting with as many guests at the Sunny Dream home for the aged as possible. Sweet old Mrs. Baker, who must have been in her 80s, pretty much summed things up as we talked together on the porch in the cool of the evening. Oh, really, kind of sorry for Walter, Mr. Dollar. Young man like that doesn't really have a place here among all of us old ones. Yeah, I, I wonder why he doesn't go out on his own then, Mrs. Baker. Because in spite of his brash, noisy way, he loves his mother, Martha. And since she has so much to do taking care of us, why, he just stays and helps her. Isn't she one of the loveliest people you ever met? Well... She certainly seems devoted to you folks. And she is. Makes us toe the line. Balls us out sometimes, just like a mother hen. But she's all heart. And Mr. Skinner? Very nice. Handles the business affairs of the home real good, too. It isn't generally known, but he's the one who gave us the idea of making out our insurance to the sunny dream. Oh, of course, we never told Martha. Oh, there you are. Evening, Miss Baker. What a nice young man this is, Mr. Skinner. We've been having a wonderful time talking away about this and that. Yeah, that's fine. They make you a comfortable room upstairs, Mr. Dollar? Yeah, right at the head of the stairs. Very comfortable. Good. Well, don't let me interrupt you. Oh, I'd like to talk to you a minute, if Mrs. Baker will excuse us. Why, of course. Thank you. And we'll talk again tomorrow, won't we? Sure, of course we will. Good night. Mr. Skinner, when was the last accident when someone fell down those long stairs? Huh? Why, uh, that was Miss Betzler earlier this month. Why? Well, at the head of them, as I came out of my room, I found something that, well... They were marks that looked to me as though they'd been made by some kind of struggle up there. Oh. And a tiny piece of cloth from a man's suit caught in a splinter on the new post. Well, uh, what are you going to do about it? Oh, just leave it there. Tomorrow I'll get somebody from the police, the police laboratory over here to look at it. Uh -huh. 
Well, whoever shoot that was must have a tear. Oh, no, not necessarily. It was really just a few threads that had been pulled out. But they might be the clue to a killer. I see. Hmm. Well, good luck, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. Thanks. In my room, I waited until long after the big home was quiet and wondered. Wondered if my hunch was going to pay off. Hunch? Sitting there on the porch talking with old Mrs. Baker, I'd suddenly remembered something Pat McCracken had told me in the very beginning. He had notified the home I was coming here to investigate. That meant he'd notified Frank Skinner. Could that have been why Skinner phoned me? Do I lay any suspicion the insurance companies might have? Yeah, I wondered. Finally, about midnight, I heard a noise at the head of the stairway. Quietly, I opened my door. And there at the top of the stairs, armed with a flashlight and standing solidly on his own two feet, was the man who said he was confined to a wheelchair. Where? Mr. Dollar! You won't find anything there, Mr. Skinner. Because there isn't anything. See? You lied to me. It got you up out of that phony wheelchair, didn't it? To see if you left some trace of your last murder, didn't it? Uh, now, listen, Dollar. Pretty rotten racket, Skinner. You and only you handle all the finances of this place. You persuaded the old folks to name you as beneficiary of their insurance policies. Then you proceeded to shove them down those stairs. Would you like to see how? Yes, yeah, Skinner. Then I'll show you. No, no, you don't. <laughs> live to go to trial, and whatever sentence they hand him will be much too short. The Sunny Dream home, well, I hope it'll be the quiet, peaceful place his wife wants it to be. Expense account total, including incidentals, $12 even. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Starring Bob Bailey originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Peggy Weber, Junius Matthews, Larry Dobkin, and Bert Holland. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverly speaking. to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Johnny Dollar. Jerry Holland, Johnny. Tri-Mutual Insurance Limited. Oh, sure, Jerry. How are you? The name Curtis Randall mean anything to you? Uh, the banker here in Hartford? That's the one. He's also one of our big policyholders. At least he was. Oh, what's happened to him? Day before yesterday, he and a friend of his, a fellow named Byron Peters, they went deer hunting over near Kingman, New York. And? They hired some old character in the neighborhood to act as guide. Randall and Peters didn't know it, but the old goat was an alcoholic. So what happened? At the end of the day's hunt, they raised cane with Curly because he hadn't found them a deer. Curly, the name of the guide, huh? Yeah. They had a big argument. Over 500,000. Hundred. Wow. Who's Randall's beneficiary? His hunting companion, Peters. Peters? No wonder you want me to investigate. Johnny. Only this one looks too easy. Wait, Johnny. I'll be right over. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Tri-Mutual Insurance Company Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the hapless hunter matter. Expense account item one, 95 cents for a taxi across town to Tri-Mutual in the office of Jerry Holland. As they opened the door, he met me halfway. Hey, what was the idea of hanging up on me, Johnny? Then when I tried to call you back, you'd left. Well, sure. I figured if this thing only happened a day or so ago, the faster I could get working on it, the better. Well, I'll go along with you on that, but Where's now... this man, Peters? In the hospital. Because if anybody should be suspect, he should. After all, as a beneficiary... What did you say? I tried to tell you on the phone, only you hung up. Byron Peters is in the hospital. Where? Over in Kingman, New York. Why? Because he was shot up, too, by that drunken guide when he tried to prevent him from killing Randall. Oh. Then Curly killed himself. Yeah. You know, if you'd stop going off half-cocked, you might get somewhere on this case. If it really is a case. <laughs> Sorry, I, I guess I jumped to a conclusion you before. sure did. Oh, half a million is still a lot of money. Sure it is. If you need it. And Byron Peters doesn't? Well, according to the local police chief who called me, it was in Byron Peters' brand-new Eldorado that they drove over to Kingman. It was Peters who arranged for the guide service. It oh. was he who supplied the guns and equipment. Yeah, okay, was... okay, Jerry, I'll take your word for it. What hospital is he in over there? Angel of Mercy. It's the only one. Any other information I ought to have? Mm, none that I can give you. As I told you, this is just routine because of the money involved, company policy. Of course, for your report, you might try to find out if this old Curly Summers, the guy, had any reason to have it in for Randall. Randall knew him before, huh? Uh-huh. I thought you said Peters arranged for the guy. Well, I guess I did. But now, Johnny... Let me have Peters' home address, would you? And Randall's. Well, sure, why not? And I hope you don't think... Did you know Randall well? Yes. Was he a drinking man? Oh, one martini before Denny, that's all. There you are. Why? How about Peters? Oh, I don't know. What difference would it make? Oh, just, uh, wondered. Don't kid me, Johnny. You've got something up your sleeve. Why, Jerry... Now, now, what is it? You know something about these people that I don't? Not a thing, so help me. But 500000 is a lot of money. And I tell you that if you suspect Byron Peters, you're crazy. Did I say I still suspect Not the him? way you've been talking. Did I? 
Well, no. Well, I do. Sure, with so little to go on, I had no reason at all to suspect Peters. Except for a hunch. But hunches have paid off for me more than once. Expense account item 2380, a tank full of gas for the drive across Route 6 to the New York State Line. There I picked up 9W, then 212 to Kingman. I found the Angel of Mercy Hospital on the way into town. The chief resident physician, Dr. Matthews, was completely cooperative and of no help whatsoever. Quite pointless to see him at the moment, Mr. Dollar. Oh, what do you mean, Doctor? Mr. Peters is sleeping under sedation. Oh? I'm afraid the ordeal with the police left him quite exhausted. The police have already seen and questioned him? Yes, and they had no business questioning him so long in view of his condition. Uh, shock, you know. Uh, tell me something. Do they suspect that he killed Mr. Randall, too, then wounded himself for an alibi? You mean that you do? Yeah. Do they? Oh, my boy, you must be joking. Of course not. Oh? Why not? Whether you realize it or not, and you will, if I permit you to see him, Mr. Peters, see the manner in which he was wounded, see the extent of his wound. I'll realize what? Boy, I... Uh, I asked you a question, Doctor. You will realize how impossible it would have been for him to shoot himself in that fashion, how narrowly he himself escaped death at the hands of that rum-crazed guide. You're sure, Doctor? Of course I'm sure, and so are the police. Well, where does that leave me? If I may say so, with egg on your face. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the hapless hunter matter. A hunting guide had run amok near the little town of Kingman, New York. And, according to report, was responsible for the death by shooting of wealthy banker Curtis Randall for the wounding of Randall's companion, Byron Peters. But Peters is beneficiary of Randall's half-million-dollar insurance policy. So, naturally, the old bug of suspicion began to gnaw away at the back of my brain. Until, that is, I saw Peters, his wounds, the x-rays, and finally talked with Captain McManus at the local police headquarters. Well, sure, we talked to Peters, Mr. Dollar, but only to find out exactly what happened when old Curly went off his rocker and started spraying lead with his hunting rifle, then shot himself. Then my suspicion that Peters might have done the shooting... Well, didn't you see how Mr. Peters was hit by that 30-30? Now, look... He saw Curly pull the rifle on Mr. Randall and shoot him down. Yeah. Yeah, so he lunged at Curly like this. Yeah. Curly whirled around, pulled the trigger. Yeah. Well, the x-rays I saw. Sure. Well, then you know. When Peters lunged at him, the bullet creased his head from the top, went right through the muscles in the back of his left shoulder, and landed in the floor. So it's pretty obvious that Peters couldn't have shot himself. Well, it's impossible. He would have had to have arms five or six feet long to shoot himself on the top of the head at that angle. Hey, when did you first learn about this whole thing, Captain? When Mr. Peters came to, he phoned me from up at Curly's cabin where it happened. I went up there right away. And? Curly and Randall were dead. Peters was still lying next to the fireplace where he'd fallen. But if he was able to phone you... He pulled the phone over to him by the cord. Still had a good right hand, you know. Oh, I see. Where were Randall and Curly? Randall by the front door with a bullet in the back of his head. Curly lay between them. Just how much do you know about this Curly character? Well, that's the part I don't understand. Why he did it. I heard he was an alcoholic. Sure, he was a town drunk in a harmless sort of a way, except when he'd go off on a rampage and get into a fight or two, but never during hunting season. Uh-huh. 
Well, uh, what did he do? Mm, odd jobs of any kind, most anything. People had always refused to pay him until the job was done. To make sure he'd stay sober, huh? Well, at least reasonably sober. And just as soon as he got paid, he'd buy a lot of cheap whiskey and hole up in his cabin. That's where the Ex- murder occurred. Except, yes, except during hunting season. Then he'd never touch it. Oh, he was a good guide, Mr. Dollar. He made a lot of money from the people who came up from New York City and Hartford and such. That's the part I don't understand. His hitting the bottle during the season. Well, did he ever have any trouble with his clients before? Oh, he'd bellyache about them being so rich when he was so poor, that sort of thing. But he'd have to get awfully drunk to... Uh, I swear I don't understand it. Uh, well, look, Captain, I'd like to see the bodies of Mr. Randall and Curly. Are they still hereabouts? Still over at the coroner's office. Then let's go, huh? I wasn't quite sure what I was looking for. Maybe that's the reason I found it. At least found something that started that old suspicion bug gnawing away again. Peter's back at the hospital had had a bad powder burn on his forehead next to where the bullet had creased him. Okay. He had said that Curly the guide pulled the trigger when he lunged at him. Randall, there at the coroner's office, had no powder burns. Okay. It was apparent that he had been shot from across the room. But Curly, who was supposed to have shot himself upward through the jaw, also showed no sign of powder burn. Sure, the bullet hole indicated he could have shot himself by holding the gun at arm's length. A 30 is fairly short. But no powder burn. I said nothing of this to Chief McManus. Well, it pretty much bears out what Peters told me and I told you, doesn't it? Curly shot Randall, then Peters, then himself. Captain, suppose, uh, just for the sake of argument, that Randall did the shooting. First, that is. Well, now, Mr. Dollar, say, wait, speaking of argument, Peters said that Randall and Curly had a pretty big one. Uh, You know, because Curly didn't find him any dare. That's when he started to get drunk and abusive. But as for Mr. Randall... On the other hand, suppose that Peters started the whole thing. Oh, now, look, you know that doesn't make any sense. Then try to kill himself? Well, isn't that what you're saying Curly did? Well, sure, but that's different. No good old bum realized he'd gone too far. There was no other way out for him. But a man like Peters, with money, everything he wants... Where is this cabin of Curly's? Huh? Quite a way. Ten, twelve miles. How do I get there? Straight down Paris Street to the mobile gas station. Uh, you know where that is? Yeah, I saw them away in. Okay, you turn left there. You go six miles, uh-huh. then take the first right-hand road right up the side of Deer Mountain until you get there. Okay. Oh, uh, here. Here's the key to it. Oh, good, thanks, Chief. I'll see you later. Uh, you want me to go along with you? No. According to you, this hunch of mine is all wrong. I'm sure of it. Okay, then. I'd better wing it alone. From the outside, Curly's cabin was a shack, nothing more. And there were enough cheap whiskey bottles scattered around the yard to sink a battleship. Inside, however, it was pretty comfortably fixed up. And back under the kitchen sink, I found a case of Prince Francis scotch, nearly full. (laughs) Had Curly suddenly changed his taste for the better? Or had somebody decided to bait him with it? By the dark stains on the floor, I could see where both Randall and Curly had fallen. Where Peters had gone down, there was also the rifle slug embedded in the floor. And then I noticed the angle at which that slug had ended, as though it had been fired from the ceiling, certainly from higher than any normal man could reach, and Curly was only five foot two or three. Then I saw something else, a heavy cord hanging down from one of the rafters above where Peters had lain. It was frayed at the end as though forcibly broken. Now, suppose someone had hung a loaded rifle there by the trigger so the slightest pull would set it off. Had stood under it, holding the muzzle carefully next to his head, to one side, just close enough to... Uh, 
Yeah, hello. Uh, Mr. Dollar? Captain? Yeah, listen. Uh, you, uh, you may be right, though I still don't see how you can be. What do you mean? Look, I've, I've got Dr. Matthews at the hospital here on this party line. You still there, Doc? Right here, Chief. Well, then you better tell Mr. Dollar. Well, it's about Mr. Peters. Yeah? He's left. Left? I thought you had him under sedation. I guess it didn't take hold the way I thought it would. Well, what happened? Well, he woke up and asked me who it was that had been here to see him while he was drowsy. Did you tell him who I was? Yes, and he seemed to drop off again, so I left him. A few minutes later, I heard his big fancy car pulling away. Doctor. I went back to his room and he was gone. Doctor. Listen, Dollar. Yeah, Chief. I don't know what it means any more than you do, but if I was you, I would get away from that isolated cabin. You see what I mean? Dollar? Uh... Sure, Chief. I'll leave right away. That was very smart, Dollar. Byron Peters? That's right. Byron Peters. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the hapless hunter matter. as badly hurt by that bullet as you pretended. That's right, Dollar. Does that help bear out your absurd suspicions about me? Not nearly so much as your coming up here to this cabin, Peters. What's that supposed to mean? You rigged the whole thing pretty well, but not well enough. Why you wanted to get rid of Curtis Randall, I don't know. You're out of your mind. Randall was a friend of mine. You must have had some reason for killing him. Curly Summers murdered Kurt. We had a big argument because he hadn't found us any game. The only reason it got out of hand was because Curly was drunk. On what? On some of that expensive scotch I found in the kitchen? How should I know? Yes. Where did he get that? How should I know? Well, I do. You brought it here to help bolster your phony alibi, to indicate that Curly had it up here, had been hitting it. But you pulled a boo-boo. Why don't you talk sense, detective? Are you trying to tell me Curly would ever have stuff like that? Look. Look at the old bottle scattered around outside. Cheap rot got, that's all. What's more, he never touched a drop during hunting season. That's about as thin evidence as you could possibly dig up, Dollar, and you know it. Peters, why did you come up here just now? Okay, I'll tell you that, too. Lying there in the hospital, nursing your sore shoulder, you didn't plan on that injury, did you? I told the police. Oh, yeah, sure, you told the police. Lying there, you suddenly remember the one thing that could show how you cleverly wounded yourself after you killed Randall and Curly. That piece of cord up on the rafter where you hung Curly's gun up by the trigger. Dollar. You aimed it carefully along the side of your head, then yanked on it to set it off. Dangerous, but a great alibi. I told the police, the doctor, Curly pulled that trigger when I lunged at him, struggled with him. Little Curly held that gun high enough so the bullet would crease your head from above? I was bent over, lunging at him. Then enter the floor from up here where this cord is hanging? <laughs> you're, you're pretty smart, aren't you, Dollar? Curly was supposed to have committed suicide, huh? Yes, he must have, because I heard him shoot himself as I passed out. Oh, sure. The bullet entered his lower jaw, went up into his brain. That's right. That meant he had to hold that 30-30 at arm's length. So, the muzzle right next to his jaw. That's right. Where it would have left powder burns. But, Peters, there were none. Because you shot him from across the room, the same as you did Randall. Yes. Yes, the same as I'll shoot you. If you can. My right hand is still good, Dollar, and so is the 38. You and your fool insurance company should have left things as they were. 
chin up, Dollar. Tell me one thing. Sorry, I haven't got time. When I left the hospital, I made sure I was seen heading for New York. And a carefully set up alibi. You still won't get away with it, you know. Any more than you got away with killing Randall. I had until you came along. And I will when I've killed you. So if you have nothing more to say... One thing. Why did you kill Randall? You're trying to stall me. Why? All right. All right. Because I forced him to name me in his insurance. I was the only one who knew about some shady operations in his early business career. Oh, the old story, huh? That's right. Blackmail. That's why he's been paying me off, supporting me, until recently. So you threatened to expose him? No. What would that get me financially? Then tell me this. No. I've got to get out of here to New York. Just one now, thing look, more. I don't know why you're trying to stall me, but it's no use. So if you have any prayers, Dollar... Sure, sure. That Chief McManus standing there in the doorway will slug you before you pull that trigger. Oh, no. Not that old chestnut. Why not, Peter? What? You... Oh, no, you... Doggone it, Dollar. I thought I told you on the phone to get out of here. Expense account total, including gas to get me back to Hartford, $13.13. Remarks? Why? Why don't they ever learn? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Radio and Television Service. This 